Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Second, 2020, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, opening arguments in the United States Senate, the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. Trump lawyers still lying and getting smacked down by Democrats. You'll hear from Congresswoman Val Demings as well as Congressman Hakeem Jeffries uh, as they laid out the case why Donald Trump should be convicted in the Senate. Hillary Clinton slams Bernie Sanders. She like, don't nobody like Bernie. But all the media is running with this whole deal saying Hillary Clinton said she would not support Bernie Sanders if he won the nomination. Reading is kind of fundamental, y'all. That's not what she said. We'll tell you what she actually said in this uh, new documentary series she's doing on Hulu. The Virginia Senate voted to end Lee Jackson Day, you know, the day where they celebrate white supremacists. We'll talk with Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax in just a moment about this very issue. The Maryland police officer who took that video that went viral 
former basketball player Delonte West uh, in handcuffs. His punk has been suspended, and he should be fired. Also, Grammy Award-winning gospel artist Byron Cage joins me here to talk about his new album and book. Got some other stuff for you as well. It's time to bring the funk on Rubble Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Couple days ago, the Virginia Senate voted to get rid of a state holiday honoring two white supremacists and create a new holiday on Election Day. The vote was 22 to 18 to do away with the Lee Jackson holiday with every Democrat and one Republican uh, in favor. Now the bill now heads to the House. Now you understand. Uh, Virginia, the cradle of the Confederacy, if you will. Uh, they have long honored Stonewall Jackson as well as Robert E. Lee. And actually, it's even more so shameful because they decided to put the same day on MLK's birthday. Uh, and Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, the second uh, African-American in that position, uh, when it would come up, he would actually step off uh, the podium, leading the Virginia Senate. Well, now that this action has passed, and hopefully the House does it and the governor signs it into law, they will be rid of this holiday honoring these white supremacists. Joining us right now on the phone lines is Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax. Uh, glad to have you back at Roller Mark Unfiltered. Brother Rollins, great to be back on with you. Uh, thanks so much. So this uh, obviously uh, was a big decision. Monday, uh, you spoke at the wreath-laying ceremony at the MLK Memorial, and this action came the next day. Uh, and uh, yeah. how long did Virginia have this Lee Jackson holiday that coincided with MLK Day? Yeah, you know, well, it goes back to at least 1889. Uh, so you're talking about, you know, over 130 years. And uh, and this was a tradition that they had in the Senate. And, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, when I began presiding over the Senate, actually on MLK Day in 2018 uh, was when I took the helm of the senator's lieutenant governor. Uh, later in that session, uh, they moved to adjourn in honor and memory of Robert Lee and Stonewall Jackson. And, and as you noted, I stepped down from the dais uh, and from presiding in a silent protest because, you know, that's not who we are and it's not who we want to be uh, going into the next 400 years of this country. And so uh, we did that. Uh, it was a lonely protest, uh, but uh, I got a lot of support from uh, people in Virginia and around the country. Uh, and then in 2019, uh, the same thing occurred, and I once again stepped down. And then, of course, this year, uh, just a couple uh, days ago, uh, the Senate voted to end Lee Jackson uh, Day and, and also to create a holiday uh, for Election Day in Virginia. So this is a huge leap forward, a huge statement about inclusion and giving people uh, more rights and more opportunity. And uh, and it's really a monumental uh, time uh, in Virginia. And to you know, be able to give the keynote at the uh, MLK Memorial on MLK Day was an extraordinary 
uh, honor, and we talked about having courage and, and, and not having a spirit of fear, and, and that's exactly uh, what we brought to, uh, you know, to this discussion, this debate, and it's changed something that was happening for 130 years. So Virginia's been celebrating this for 130 years, uh, and uh, did, did they move to actually put it on the same day as MLK Day, which was just grossly offensive? Yeah, it absolutely was offensive, and yes, and in fact, for some time, they, they linked all three together. So they had what was known as Lee Jackson uh, Martin Luther King Day, uh, and, you know, it was outrageous. And, and so, uh, you know, that was changed, I believe, in 2000 to separate the two so that Dr. King's birthday would be on the Monday and Lee Jackson Day would be the Friday uh, preceding it. But, you know, to me, that wasn't uh, sufficient. Uh, and when I was first presented with this, uh, presiding over the Senate back in 2018, uh, as soon as I was informed that they planned to do this, I mean, it, it took me zero seconds to understand and to express that I was not going to participate in this and that we needed to take a stand. And sometimes you take a stand by sitting down. Uh, and that protest, again, was something that uh, traveled all around uh, the country. Uh, and actually in 2019, Roland, you may recall, I brought uh, descendants of Robert E. Lee uh, and of Stonewall Jackson with me uh, to the Senate, uh, and I honored them in the Senate. They also uh, opposed uh, Lee Jackson Day, and that was a huge statement uh, when they came with me uh, to the Senate. Descendants of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson to say, uh, it is time to uh, change, it's time uh, to turn the page, to uh, go into the next 400 years in a very different way. And, and so one year, actually to the day, of when I brought those descendants of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson to the Senate, uh, the Senate voted to end the holiday. And as you know, I am descended from Simon Fairfax, who uh, was enslaved in Virginia uh, and freed in 1798 by the Ninth Lord Fairfax, which is how I got my last name, Fairfax. And so, uh, you know, we have an incredible history, but for the descendants of an enslaved uh, man in Virginia uh, and the descendants of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson to come together to make that statement, uh, it's really an extraordinary thing. Um, now, the election day piece uh, is also important, so making this a state holiday. Uh, so if it passes the House and signed by the governor, it becomes law. And so will employers, uh, how, how will that work uh, for people who work in the state? Is it left up to the employ employers to honor that, or is it everybody gets a day off? You know, well, if it proceeds sort of in its current form, it would be a state holiday, and essentially what it does is it replaces uh, Lee Jackson Day. So that day would no longer uh, exist as a holiday, but you'd have the same number of holidays, state holidays, uh, because Election Day would take its place. And so uh, we'll, we'll look at it as it's uh, winding its way through the House and also into the governor's desk. The governor, uh, you know, has indicated this was a priority for him. It's a priority for us, uh, the lieutenant governor's office. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll certainly give you know, ample notice to, to employers and everybody about the change, but, uh, you know, this is a monumental uh, change, you know, in, in Virginia, and it sends a signal to the country uh, that, you know, we really are in sort of a new dominion. Uh, and last year, we commemorated 400 years uh, of the first meeting of our General Assembly in 1619 in Jamestown, but also 400 years since the first enslaved Africans were brought to Virginia in Hampton, Fort Monroe, uh, Point Comfort. And as I've said, Roland, many times, uh, those are the dual strands of darkness and light that have run through the veins of the Commonwealth of Virginia and through our nation 
uh, for the past four centuries. And every generation, uh, we have to uh, determine who it is we are going to be and whether or not we're going to fight for a brighter future that's more inclusive. And I'm the only, only the second African-American ever uh, to serve uh, in statewide office in Virginia following the footsteps of a great man, uh, L. Douglas Wilder, uh, governor who was elected lieutenant governor in 1985 and then governor in 1989. Uh, and so uh, there's this extremely rich legacy uh, and also an incredible opportunity. Uh, to do something that will change the course of history, uh, but we've got to have a different kind of politics. It can't be about insider politics. It's really got to be about the people, and that's really what we represent. All right, then, uh, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. God bless you, Rowley. Keep up the great work, and, and thank you so much for all you do. All right, thanks very much. Let's go to our panel, Risa Colbert, Black Women's Views, Michael Brown, former vice chair, DNC Finance Committee, uh, via Skype, Rob Richardson. He's the host of Disruption Now podcast. Dr. Jason Nichols, Department of African American Studies at the University of Maryland. Uh, Michael Brown, obviously this is, uh, you know, one, it's ridiculous for Virginia to, to you know, having these honors of white supremacists, uh, folks who want to keep slavery. Uh, so thank goodness that day is gone. But also it's important uh, to make Election Day uh, a holiday. Folks should be able to have that day off to go vote. More states should do that. And frankly, it should be a federal holiday. But uh, it's interesting, and you and I talk about this all the time, Roland, elections have consequences. If the Democrats, if Virginia did not turn blue, you better believe this holiday would still be on the books. And that's, that's good that, you know, when people come out, it, it really makes a difference relative to legislation and how it matters to your everyday life. Uh, Reese, I mean, um, yeah, I think when you look at these two, um, at the end of the day, uh, elections do matter. And... Uh, you have in these southern states where you have have had white folks, uh, especially Republicans, embracing, supporting these white supremacists, right. Virginia and Mississippi, Alabama, we can go down the line. Uh, and so, yeah, when you put black folks in charge and we go to the polls and throw these folks out, you can start right. changing stuff for the right. better. Right. I was raised in okay. Cali, so the notion of a white supremacist holiday is completely unconscionable to me. <laughs> and to make it coincide with Dr. King Day is that much more insulting. So this is correcting a long overdue wrong. And I think that it's that much more of an honor to Dr. King's legacy to increase basically access to civil rights, which is voting. So I think that this is a remarkable step. First step, we have to, you know, they have to get it through the House and on the governor's desk. But I think that it's, it's not only correcting a wrong, but, you know, it's, it's making it that much better by increasing access to the polls. Uh, Rob, Jason, what do you make of uh, the Virginia Senate? Obviously, goes to the House. Democrats not control the House and the Senate. And so Republicans are standing by, and I'm sure those white Republicans are, are really upset that they not have to suck it up and they can't stop these things from being passed. Well, I'll just say this very quickly. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be, because I don't see why this is a partisan issue. I say that rhetorically, but we know why it is. But, like, look, um, this actually reminds me of the law of avoidance. The more something threatens your identity, the more you want to avoid it. So they didn't want to acknowledge what Dr. Martin Luther King did. Uh, obviously, some people have uh, a problem with wanting to get rid of white supremacy because it's they see it as part of their identity. Uh, it's 2020. Look, it's, it's time to let that go. And uh, this is a, a first step. Uh, frankly, we need to do a lot more. Of course, uh, Actually, election day should always be a holiday. But to this specific point, we need to do. We need to do. The United States, I think, needs to do what Germany did. In Germany, uh, everywhere you go, there is a place that talks about when a when a Jewish person was assassinated, uh, what happened there. Whenever we talk about race, whenever we talk about racism, everyone wants to just avoid the subject and leave it. And that's really 
uh, at the heart of our problem right here in America, in my opinion. Jason. Yeah, I would say that it's even more that they don't want to avoid it, that they just want to absolutely uh, destroy the truth, uh, destroy Dr. King's legacy, uh, cover it up. And, you know, this is something that's been longstanding for, for a long time. I'm very glad that they changed it. And one of your other panelists, I think, made the, the really important point about the fact that uh, this is opening up uh, opportunities for democracy and opening up, uh, you know, access for African-American people in a very important state. Um, and so I think that, you know, what uh, Governor, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax did was incredibly important, not only for the historical legacy, but for the for the, the chance that it's going to give for more people to access the polls, uh, particularly working class people. And in Virginia, where my family's from, uh, that will, a lot of those people will be African-American people from Northern Virginia and from the Hampton Roads area and other parts of Virginia. So I think it's, you know, it's really important for us to, to acknowledge the past, but also this is important because it's showing where we're headed as a nation or where we should be headed as a nation, giving people more access to our, our democracy instead of constricting it. And let me just and point just out, point too, out that we had just one Republican vote with the Democrats to overturn Robert this this holiday. Mm -hmm. So hopefully going into the Senate, or it's going to the House, I'm sorry, there will be more pressure on Republicans to stand on the right side of history here. So they should not keep continually getting a free pass to vote party lines against civil rights, against correcting, rectifying these wrongs from these unconscionable holidays. So that's why I think it's hilarious anytime idiots like Dinesh D'Souza mm -hmm. uh, starts running around talking about, oh, Democrats formed the Klan and Democrats did this here, uh, and he's going back to the, uh, to the 19th century, then the 20th century. If, but the question is, who are the people in the 21st century today who are defending these white supremacists? Right. Republicans mm -hmm. across the board mm -hmm. uh, in, in numerous states, on the federal level as well as uh, on the state level. And so, but you never hear folks like Dinesh and Charlie Kirk and idiots like Candace Owens talk about that because <laughs> it's a little hard uh, to do that uh, when your master is the one who is actually running the whole show. So that's how that whole deal works. All right, folks, let's talk about impeachment. After 13 hours of debate yesterday, going into the early hours of the morning, uh, senators finally agreed to the rules that will govern how the rest of the trial plays out. Opening arguments started today with Congressman Adam Schiff, the lead House impeachment manager, outlining Democrats' roadmap for the next few days. Uh, but here are a couple of impeachment managers who presented their case yesterday, both African-Americans and members of the Congressional Black Caucus. The question was asked by Mr. Sekulo as he opened before this distinguished body. Why, why, why are we here? Let me see if I can just posit an answer to that question. We are here, sir, because President Trump pressured a foreign government to target an American citizen for political and personal gain. We are here, sir, because President Trump solicited foreign interference in the 2020 election and corrupted our democracy. We are here, sir, because President Trump withheld $391 million in military aid from a vulnerable Ukraine without justification in a manner that has been deemed unlawful. We are here, sir, because President Donald Trump 
elevated his personal political interests and subordinated the national security interests of the United States of America. We are here, sir, because President Trump corruptly abused his power and then he tried to cover it up. And we are here, sir, to follow the facts, apply the law, be guided by the Constitution, and present the truth to the American people. That is why we are here, Mr. Seculo. And if you don't know, now you know. The House managers strongly support the amendment to issue subpoena for documents to the State Department. As we explain, the first article of impeachment charges the president with using the power of his office to solicit and pressure Ukraine to announce investigations that everyone in this chamber knows to be bogus. The president didn't even care if an investigation was actually conducted, just that it was announced. Why? Because this was for his own personal and political benefit. The first article further charges that the president did so with corrupt motives and that his use of power for personal gain harmed the national security of the United States. As the second article of impeachment charges, the president sought to conceal evidence of this conduct. He did so by ordering his entire administration, every office, every agency, every official to defy every subpoena served in the House impeachment inquiry. No president in history has ever done anything like this. Many presidents have expressly acknowledged that they couldn't do anything like this. President Trump did not take these extreme steps to hide evidence of his innocence or to protect the institution of the presidency. As a career law enforcement officer, I have never seen anyone take such extreme steps to hide evidence allegedly proving his innocence. And I do not find that here today. The president it is, is engaged in this cover-up because he is guilty, and he knows it. And he knows that the evidence he is concealing will only further demonstrate his culpability. Jason, watching this whole thing play out, it, it, it is absolutely amazing to listen to Trump lawyers, lawyers just lie. I mean, to stand there and say, oh, the Democrats, they wouldn't even allow Republicans into the skiff. They were. They even got to ask the same number of questions. I mean, the, the, how, how brazen they are with lying uh, is, in essence, exactly what Donald Trump wants, because that's what he does, just lie. Right. I was going to say, we, we know who their boss is, so, you know, uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And, I, and you know, the funny thing is... Not only that, I would say that Cipollone looked out of his depth. Like, he, he really just looked like he shouldn't have been there. 
Uh, I wouldn't have even wanted him to be, you know, my defense attorney. Seculo looked a little bit better. He's a TV guy. But Cipollone looked really bad, and he was the guy, first of all, who's also implicated in the, in the uh, obstruction uh, issue because he sent that letter. Uh, but, you know, again, I think the Democrats have laid out uh, an incredible case thus far. They've had visual aids. They've shown, they've let the uh, the president's own people and, and the State Department people tell the story for them in many cases. Also, you had to appreciate uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the Brooklyn dude, uh, <laughs> saying, if you don't know, now you know. I think everybody has to appreciate that, you know. Uh, but, you know, it's clear that we need to hear from Mulvaney and Duffy and Blair and Pompeo and Bolton and, and Parnas. And most importantly, we need those documents. There's no way to defend the fact that you're going to, that Clinton gave 90,000 documents and they don't have to give any. They've given zero. You know, you had 37 new witnesses in the uh, case for Andrew Johnson, and now they're saying you can't have new witnesses. There's really no defense for it, so I don't really envy uh, Seculo or Cipollone or any of those other people. Of course, Dershowitz is making a fool of himself. Uh, so I, I think Democrats are slam dunking it, but we have such a partisan environment that in the end, it won't really make a difference. Rob, the president going to escape. Rob, all these people keep talking about, uh, oh, Susan Collins and Mitt Romney and Lamar Alexander and uh, I forgot the fourth person to keep bringing up. Corey Gardner. Uh, Corey Gardner. And, you know, are they going to step up? Hell no. No. I mean, I'm telling you right now, I have absolutely no faith in either one of them. Just like when you had Senator Jeff Flake, he would go on the floor and he would give these speeches and punk out and vote along with Trump. Mm. Being sass, you ain't heard from his ass in the last 15 <laughs> months or so. Uh, he was always running his mouth. He wrote a book and he was posting tweets. But as he got closer to re-election, he sucked up to Trump. Trump uh, endorsed him and he ain't said a damn thing. Yep, and he's not going to. Look, I, I see better than I hear. When people tell me that they're going to do something, uh, they, they, they can talk. I, I judge it by their actions. And looking at anybody that's in the Republican Party that's a current elected official, there is zero backbone. There is zero convictions in terms of having a moral obligation to this Constitution. They don't care about anything other than keeping power. So very, very predictable. Uh, I will say, I just want to make a quick reference to Hakeem Jeffries. As you know, I, I know you're a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha, but, you know, I like to say that... Uh, Congressman Jeffries, of course, is the cap. I have to just say that, fellow brother. Anyway, I'm there's like a couple of y'all, so yeah, ain't like that many of y'all. <laughs> yeah, it's a few of us out there. It's a few of us representing well, brother. But you know, the case Who's was next, made Boozy? very well. What's that? <laughs> Who's next, Boozy? <laughs> we, we, well, no, well, he's got to be honorary. He's not. We, he's not. He's not there yet. Well, y'all used you know? to honoraries. Uh, Reese. <laughs> oh, uh, Reese. <laughs> see, you the one who opened your mouth. You, you should. I opened it up. I know. I you, opened it up. But you like, know, I say, Michael ain't said nothing about Omega. See, he know how to act. I don't need to say anything. That's correct. Right. He knows I don't need to say nothing. Don't, don't, don't have a hashtag team whip that ass show up. Uh huh. See. All right, Reese. Again, watching this. Uh, you're seeing gutless Republicans. Uh, they all mad, upset because they can't get up and eat. They, they can only drink water. Mm -hmm. And then they can only drink, if they want some milk, you got to bring your own milk. Uh, and, 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 and watching this, and what's, what's to me, what is smart here, how the Democrats have laid it out. Mm -hmm. They have properly used the time uh, when they were going through those amendments 
to connect all the dots. Right, right. And so, all, and then, of course, you got Fox News over there uh, who is just... Do, first of all, they're doing the bidding more for Donald Trump than his own press secretary mm -hmm. uh, is as we well. We haven't heard from her. Right. I, will, I have to go back to Hakeem Jeffries. I have to shout him out because he's a star, obviously. And I have to say, just to veer a little bit from impeachment, tell AOC and the Justice Democrats to leave the black CBC members alone because she is trying to go after Hakeem Jeffries for his seat. So I think he has proved his mettle. For him, Gregory Meeks, right, uh, and some others. Right, right, right. So hands off of Hakeem Jeffries, period. But I think what we're seeing from the Republicans is they're co-conspirators. And I think it takes quite a bit of guts to just sit up there and make the entire country see very plainly that you are 100% beholden to Donald Trump, not the Constitution, not to your constituents. That's bold as hell. And they're telling you, I dare you to hold me accountable. I dare you to do any damn thing about it. And nobody is out in the streets. They, you know, I think, um, who was it, Chuck Grassley deactivated his voicemail, but they don't seem to be too pressed about this. So, you know, I, the Republicans are bold as hell, and the only thing that you can do is vote them out. Mike? You know, I, I, I find interesting that the way 45 has absolutely punked these mm -hmm. people, just completely <laughs> punked them. At least John McCain, may rest in peace, stood up and, and he really did speak and acted. This, these folks, and I, the thing I don't understand politically either, they were in these seats before 16, before 45 got there. Right. So they have their own bases in their own state. So either they're scared and got punked or they believe in this guy's vision and how he talks about people. Can't have it both ways, so... Are they compromised? Or they're yeah. somehow compromised. But, yeah. but, the, but there is no Republican Party right now. It's just the Trump Party, and they right. are scared to death because he can... This is the truth, right? He can't organize better than they have in a long time, and he knows how to motivate his base, so... He sends out one tweet for them. It could actually, it, it has made or or, or 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 broken people. So they're scared to death. They have no backbone. They only care about preserving their power. So right now it's Trump's party. There is no Republican Party. It's Trump. Well, I, I would I would add to that. I mean, look at Ted Cruz, a guy who <laughs> Donald Trump literally insulted his family and insulted his wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't I don't understand what you're made of. Like you know, if you have not any hooks at all, if you have any backbone that you would let another man insult your family and insult your wife and you still bow your head to him. You know, uh, I don't know what he's done, what he does to make Donald Trump. Donald Trump, if he wanted to sell something, sell what it is that he has that makes grown men mm. cower that way. I, I, don't, I don't even get it. But um, apparently somehow these Republicans, even the ones who are retiring, that's why I think your point about Lamar Alexander, which by the way, when I hear the name Lamar Alexander, I do not picture that guy. Uh, but, you know, that's just me. But um, I could have swore I went to school with a guy named Lamar Alexander. But anyway, uh, I, I don't understand. These guys aren't going to go against that. For some reason, they're scared of the loudest voice. They're scared of these Republican uh, constituents saying things about them, tweeting them, uh, you know, and they back down and they cower. And, and look, they're getting stuff... To, look, they're getting a lot of what they want done. Here's the other side of it. Right, and, that, and that's the key. Rob, go ahead. They want done, so they're getting judges through. Mm. Something from Trumpism and Trump is that when we get a Democrat in the White House, which eventually is going to happen, theoretically, like, 
we don't have to apologize. Like, let's actually figure out how to get things done like they do instead of just figuring right. out, instead of apologizing and shuffling our feet. What Donald Trump has shown me that apparently there's a lot more power in this in the presidency than we previously thought. So hopefully we get we get we get a Democrat there that they can at least have a little backbone and do a little more than Democrats usually well, do. Well, I, I think the problem I think the, I think the problem is that Democrats always want to play nice. I mean, yeah. I mean the Democrat. I mean, the, the difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Democrats say, you know, there are rules and we need to follow the process <laughs> and we have to be fair. I mean, I was reading a story about Mitch McConnell uh, and one of the folks, they were talking about how ruthless he is, mm -hmm. how he'll change the rules to suit, to suit him. Yeah. Yes, that's called flexing power. Right. And I'm telling you right now, if Democrats wipe out some of these Republicans and take over the Senate, I'm telling you right mm -hmm. now, Every I'm t blue slip, yo, don't even come talk to me. I'm t this is exactly how the hearings will go. You done? Well, look at what's happening. I'll be like, you done? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, you got uh, <laughs> you got a suggestion? I don't give a damn. And then, matter of <laughs> fact, if, if Lindsey Graham opened his mouth, I'd be like, press play when he was talking all that trash with his ass. I'm telling you right now, I literally would not listen to anything that they say. Uh, if the Democrats take control of the Senate, on the first day, hell, I confirmed 10 judges. Damn a hearing. Yeah, but that's oh. kind of wishful thinking, to be honest with you. No, uh, no, Corey, no. Here's the deal. Corey Gardner's going to lose. Who? Hickenlooper's going to beat Corey Gardner. Doug Jones could very well lose. Martha McSally will probably lose. But I think a lot of those other races, Lindsey Graham is going to be in a tight race. McConnell's going to be in a tight race. But I really believe they're probably going to pull it out. Here's the deal. Uh, Look, look, here's the thing that I said in 2016. I said it. You can pull the video. I got the receipts. I said it on MSNBC. What I said is you cannot account for white folks who have sat out the last elections. I said if there's a stampede to the ballot box, Donald Trump beats Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. I said they got to be scared of that. What happened? One, that happened. Mm -hmm. That was an increase in those rural voters there was a decrease of the black vote. You also saw Hispanic voters, you saw young voters go down as well. Mm -hmm. Look, from a Democratic standpoint, this is why I totally disagree with Michael, Mike Bloomberg running. I know he says he's going to spend up to $2 billion to defeat Trump. This is where it's an absolute turnout game. Mm -hmm. Democrats can. Look, Mitch McConnell has ignored coal miners in his own state, the very people who he needs. Mitch McConnell can actually lose. So you can take you can take out Mitch McConnell. You've got a quarter of a million or 300,000 eligible but unregistered African Americans in South Carolina alone. Mm -hmm. You've had folks moving to that state as well. And so look look in Mississippi. You have Mike Espy mm -hmm. who's running against Cindy Hyde Smith. Mike Espy lost uh, the last election in 2018 by 68 thousand votes. Mm -hmm. If you look at, now granted, it's a state of 2.5 million people, but if you look at the number of African Americans who were, who were registered but who didn't vote, right. number of poor whites registered who didn't vote, the whole issue with lack of Medicaid expansion in Mississippi, Sidney Hyde-Smith can lose. But you have to put the resources right. on the ground in order to turn folks out. Reese, we saw this where, first, let's be clear, a Democrat got reelected as governor of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. A Democrat beat the Republican in 
Kentucky. Right. John Cooper won in North Carolina. It only happened when people on the ground right. were reached. You knocked on doors, you touched people, but you can't come in thinking you're just going to run some ads and they're going to jump out and, and, and vote. Well, but we're seeing the Democrats kind of double down on this whole Rust Belt strategy, not going to the South. So I don't really see them putting the resources that you need to unless you have a billionaire like Michael Bloomberg who's willing to cut a, a blank check to the which, South. Which is also why, Michael, why I disagree with Tom Steyer running. I mean, again, yeah. Tom, Tom Steyer was building that level of coalition, the amount of money he put in certain races, and fine, they're running. Okay, yeah, they think they're going to win. They're not. Uh, I don't care what the latest poll. The latest poll shows Mike Bloomberg's in fourth place. Uh, Deval Patrick, I don't know why in the hell he's running because uh, he's not even showing up in the 1%. Uh, but again, this is where Republicans, regardless of what they say about Trump, they're going to vote for him again. They don't care. Out. They don't care about how he, right. how he trashes women. They don't care about the lying. They don't care. And so Democrats had better understand Some of them like that it. This, this is about... Uh, being hardcore when it comes to turning your people out and stop trying to chase white conservative women in the, in the suburbs. Well, he has... Say, hold on one second. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Michael, Mike, go ahead. He has 45, however you want to look at 16, a lot of it was luck. He got very lucky. Absolutely. He, he pulled his little straight flush. He got very lucky. This time, his campaign folks understand that they have to actually be on the ground and get people out. Yes. They're going to have an operation. Besides running ads, besides rallies, he is going to be knocking on doors and pulling his people to the polls. What Democrats have to do, we have to do, is twofold. One, and Roland, you've heard me talk about it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to sound like a broken record, but Chairman Perez, at some point, has to stop the primary. At some point, whenever the primary sees, whenever it's done, when it's after Super Tuesday, maybe let people get through March, maybe a little bit of April. You got to do what my father did. He cut the primary off and said, Clinton is the guy. Let's move on. Let's give the guy the rest of the summer, all the way through the convention. Hillary Clinton didn't have the catapult. She had a great convention, yeah. but she was still, you had still Bernie Sanders people still angry and upset and pissed off, and I'm not going to vote for Hillary. I don't like her. No chance to mend fences. And then you got to do one on one with a guy that lies and has half a billion dollars. Yeah, but the problem here is, and Rob, I'm going to go to you in a second. The problem here, though, is that the calendar's also been shortened. Super Tuesday is going to take place on March 3rd. The Democrat, the Democratic National Convention is the second week of July. Yep. Uh, and so I'm telling you right now, this race is not going to be over by no, Super Tuesday. No. This race is no going to go, this race is going to go to May or June. Yeah. And look, if Buttigieg somehow wins Iowa, if Sanders uh, wins New Hampshire, and then if uh, uh, Joe Biden wins South Carolina, three of your first four states are going to have three different winners. And so that's one of the things that you're dealing with. Democrats have proportional delegation right. as opposed to winner take all. That's going to that's going to extend this whole deal. Go ahead, uh, Rob. Yeah, uh, I have a I have a couple of diff uh, di really different points from Michael. I would say I don't think Trump got lucky in 2016. Uh, I yeah. think there was some strategy, particularly how they did their digital strategy. And the Clinton campaign really had no real digital strategy. They were specific. They knew who they were targeting. You know, if you don't believe me, you can see the great hack on Netflix. They go through it all in detail. And I still think Democrats <laughs> have an underappreciation for what they need to do there. I am I am sure of it. And uh, and and so I do agree with him that they're going to be even more prepared now. Uh, second, my experience as being a candidate, I ran. I was the Democratic nominee for Ohio treasurer, and 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 a lot of the part and a lot of the the philosophy uh, 
generally was to was to do exactly what you said, Roland. Like, let's just figure out we're going to get some more of those voters back. Let's figure out how to market to everybody and essentially market to no one. Mm-hmm. And you know that's what happened. Now we got a ton of votes. Got almost got two million votes, which is actually more votes than Kasich got. Here's what they didn't anticipate. Those people came out in rural communities, and they came out in stronger numbers than we than, than our base did in terms of looking bruh, at young bruh, people, African Americans. Bruh, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hillary Clinton lost Ohio by 450,000 votes. They didn't just come out in in, in, in in huge numbers. Lots of Democrats who worked for unions. It was all about NAFTA. She wasted more time and money going to Ohio. And I'm be perfect. I'm be perfectly honest with you. Okay. In this cycle, and you've already seen Priorities Pack say it, they're not going to waste time and money right. in Ohio. I would not straight up, look, all people in Ohio, I, I, I love y'all, but I'm just looking at hardcore numbers. Right. If and a Ohio's dude... Not the point. I, I don't want to make the point of looking at Ohio. I want to make the point of the strategy. I think the strategy was off. For, Hold up. But, you got, no, but, but the strategy was off, but we also, look, you have to concede, Hillary Clinton was the perfect candidate for Trump to beat. No question because about it. Because the narrative about Hillary Clinton was already locked in stone. The Republicans Absolutely. are already paying. You couldn't yeah, get out gets, of it. Which gets to my next point. You're absolutely right. There are some candidates that can fall under that same trap, especially if your whole, if your philosophy is the same as the Clinton campaign was. I think it's a losing strategy. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, first of all, we got an issue, of course, where Hillary Clinton is still uh, making noises. Uh, there's a four-part Hulu series uh, that is called Hillary uh, that will be airing. And then, of course, uh, it is set to premiere at the Sundance Film Festival this weekend. Uh, and in this particular uh, uh, docu-series, uh, she did not mince words when it came to Senator Bernie Sanders. Quote, he was in Congress for years. He had one senator support him. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to work with him. He got nothing done. He was a career politician. It's all just baloney, and I feel so bad that people got sucked into it. When asked if he gets a nomination, will she endorse and campaign for him? She responded, quote, I'm not going to go there yet. We're still in a very vigorous primary season. I will say, however, that it's not only on him, it's the culture around him. It's his leadership team. It's his prominent supporters. It's his online Bernie bros, their relentless attacks on lots of his competitors, particularly the women. Mm -hmm. And I really hope people are paying attention to that because it should be worrisome that he has permitted this culture, not only permitted, he seems to really be very much supporting it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we want to go down that road again where you campaign where you campaign by insult and attack, and maybe you try to get some distance from it, but you either don't know what your campaign and supporters are doing, or you're just giving them a wink and you want them to go after Kamala Harris mm-hmm. or after Elizabeth Warren. I think that's the pattern that people should take into account when they make their decisions. Now, all these media people ran with and said, Hillary Clinton said she is not going to campaign for Bernie Sanders. It's not what she said. She never said such, said such, such things. She says, I'm not ready to go there yet. Why? Because her deal is not one vote has been cast. Uh, Reese, you have been uh, quite <laughs> animated uh, on yes, Twitter mm-hmm. uh, with uh, your uh, clapbacks uh, mm-hmm. towards uh, Bernie bros, or as you call them also uh, Bernie uh, brunettes. Broettes. Broettes, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Hillary is totally right. Let me start out by saying, even if she didn't want to campaign for him, so what? She doesn't have to. 
The problem is we're not making people work for our votes anymore. It's just vote blue no matter who. No, you're an asshole. I don't want to vote for you. And Bernie is the worst, and so are his supporters. And I'm glad that she name-checked Kamala Harris because these folks have gone after Kamala Harris for years. And so good on Hillary Clinton for standing up to Bernie Sanders. It's about damn time that somebody did it. Everybody's acting like they're scared of him because his bros are monsters. I said it, and I don't care. And you know what? They're not going to be able to bully their way to this primary, to the nomination, or to strong-arm people into voting for him. And if they don't think that there's going to be a huge never-Bernie problem, they're in for a rude-ass awakening, period. Uh, let's go to Jason. What about that? Uh, what reason do you have to say? I have to, I have to disagree with that. Um, I think Hillary's making, uh, in many ways, a big mistake. Um, I understand what she's saying about, you know, not wanting to go there yet. Um, Bernie Sanders went to, I believe, 34 campaign stops uh, for Hillary Clinton. And the other thing I would say is that Hillary Clinton is also destroying her legacy. She's making herself look like a sore loser uh, who's looking for an excuse for why she lost. And I think in, in many ways, uh, you know, her, her criticism should be saved for her enemies. We have, you know, we as Democrats oftentimes end up eating our, our own and then we come out weakened and I guess we're not stronger together as what she said before. So look, Bernie Sanders, if you think he's not the right candidate, support the candidate that you think is the best candidate. But going after Bernie Sanders at this point, I think, is, is really just a bad idea. It's bad for Democrats all around. And then we get surprised, and, and on November 9th or, you know, in 2016, we're wondering what happened. Uh, it's because we yep. fractured ourselves too much instead of actually saying, all right, we have an existential threat on the other side. We need to unite. Uh, and, you know, the Bernie, there are some crazy Bernie people. There are some absolutely insane white feminist uh, Hillary supporters uh, do do pretty much the same thing. I think it's just election season. There's good people. There's bad people. There's people who support people for good reasons. There are people who support people for the wrong reasons. Um, and so I, I wouldn't... And, oh, uh, the last thing I'll say really quickly is that this, uh, this myth of the never Hillary or, what was it, a Bernie or bust... That's actually been disproven by the numbers. More people uh, abandoned President Obama from after voting for Hillary Clinton voted for John McCain than people who abandoned Hillary Clinton after voting for Bernie Sanders. So, you know, that Bernie or bust thing is a myth. That's not yeah. even true. Michael, I don't quite understand. Um, I mean, I, I hear all the folks who say, oh, my God, this is this is hurting and when I see people complain about Democrat circular firing squad, it's a damn election, okay? I'm sorry. Show me an election where everybody was nice and wonderful and hugging and we hug it all out. In an election, your job is to take out your opponent. And that's a Bernie does. Let's be clear. Mm -hmm. Obama had some major opposition research people going after Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. They weren't the best of buds. Oh, now, he might have done it with a smile, but that's what you're dealing with. And so I, I don't get people who act as if uh, Bernie Sanders shouldn't be going after Joe Biden. Joe Biden shouldn't be going after Judge. They were all pissed off with Senator Harris when she went after Joe Biden. You're running a race. That's what the hell you do in an election. 
And uh, we all we do is go back to 16, the Republican primary. They were going after each oh, yeah. other like crazy. That's yeah. just, and you know, but the difference is when that primary was over, every single solitary one of them endorsed 45. All of them. Right. In our case, and again, I understand that, that Bernie, Senator Sanders went to 34 stops for uh, Secretary Clinton, but he was very late to the party. A lot of his supporters were late. They were still moaning and groaning on Twitter, talking about, oh, I'm not going to support her, even if Bernie does this. So there is a lasting, in the 16 GOP primary, I cannot, all of them, even when, and you were right, I forget who, what other panelists mentioned, this guy was talking about people's wives, their families, assassinating Kennedy. Right, he and accused Ted Cruz's daddy of being a part of assassination Cruz plot to kill Kennedy. And Cruz stood on that stage, hand in hand, I support this guy for president. And that's the thing, Rob, that I don't quite understand. I mean, look, Democrat, Republicans are going to be like, yo, it's about winning. Yeah. Democrats will walk around in their feelings. It's like, no, I'm yep. going to stay at home as if um, as if this evil man is somehow is not going to win. That's stupid to me. That's stupid. Yeah, and that, was, and, and that was the most irresponsible part of Hillary Clinton's statement. The reason why she's not running right now, and if she wants to endorse somebody, endorse somebody. But what, what she said, either directly or indirectly, is like, don't support this guy whatsoever. So I think two things. One, that might actually help him in the short run. If you didn't want him to be that, I, that's not what she should have done, in my opinion, from my perspective. Uh, you know, two, it looks like she is relitigating 2016 and making excuses. Both of us learned about excuses online about why she lost. Listen, there were some unfair things done to her. There's no question. But I don't see how this helps us resolve the current issue, which is the current president occupant of the White House and getting rid of him. So this helps promote. I mean, we're talking about Hillary Clinton. I'm sure this will help make money for the Hulu series, but it's not going to necessarily help us get rid of Donald J. Trump. Well, Wait a well second. nobody that needs to be the focus. Nobody well, attacks Democrats more than Bernie Sanders and the Justice Dems. They talk about the establishment, neoliberal corporate shield. Bernie Sanders has the Young Turks. He has the Intercept. He has the Guardian. He has Jacobin. He has all of these machines around him that pump out this message that the Democrats are the enemy, except for them. And now all of a sudden, when Hillary Clinton op opens up her mouth. They want to talk about unity. But Hil Where Hillary, is the unity when you're the, dragging... Hillary Clinton is the former nominee for yeah, I, I president. Know that I would One, say two, Jack. two, two. She's been previously like she's a very high-profile person. Her, she, yeah. she could do enough damage if he was to win. I'm not saying he is, and I'm not picking a candidate. I'm just saying I don't see how this a helps him not win in the primary because then that might make people more motivated, get more money, and it seems like the polls are proving that point. And then second, in case he comes out. Like, I think it makes it very difficult. It makes it even more difficult to get past it. So what what was gained by this other than us talking about Hillary Clinton? Okay, this is real simple. Okay, first yeah, of all, let's first of all, they do with polls, national polls. Primaries are not national polls. They are state yeah. elections. And not even state elections. Iowa has a caucus, mm -hmm. okay? That's what's going on here. And so, I, I, look, I get all these national polls. National polls mean nothing. A national poll showing that Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump means nothing. Why? The election is determined by who can get to 270. Those are Agreed. state elections. And here's the deal. Hillary Clinton said what she had to say. I don't give a shit. I really don't. My deal is she offered her opinion, just like Bernie Sanders offers his opinion. 
Okay? These things happen. And so, look, one of his supporters wrote this column blasting Joe Biden for corruption. Bernie had to come out and apologize for it. This is still an election. You're going to have people who don't like you. And that's just what it is. Right. Okay? And that's just a fact. But, but the real deal here... And look, let me just go ahead and put it on the table. There are a lot of Democrats who are pissed off at Bernie Sanders for jumping into the party, forcing the Democratic Party to change his rules, and then him not declaring that he's a Democrat. I mean, so, look, so he wants it both ways. I want you to change your rules, but I ain't gonna be one of you. Well, how in the hell are you gonna change my rules? That's like having somebody say, change your rules in Alpha. Punk, you ain't an Alpha. Go sit your ass down. <laughs> I mean, that's what you got going on here. And so, the, one of the issues, though, that you also have, you got Bernie people, some of them who love Bernie, but voted for Trump. You got Democrats who voted for Obama, voted for Trump. And so, at the end of the day, what has to happen is, ain't nobody voted once. Let the folks vote in 13 days in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Then, damn it, let's go to New Hampshire. Then let's go to Nevada. Let's go to South Carolina. But what I'm not going to do is, is shut an election down when, hell, not a single vote has been cast. So, damn all these polls. Only somebody, somebody needs to check Bernie, period. Now B Biden is starting to get on his case a little bit, and he's had some success with that. And that's what, which is what happens in elections. You right. actually... That's what I mean, that's what happens. That's what happens. I, so, I, happen. I mean, I, I, I'm just tired but of people who go, well, no, 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 you yeah. shouldn't be attacking each other. Yes, you should. I, I agree with that, so, but so, why let Clinton... Me ask Clinton you, can why? I Jason, go, go. And my, my question is... All I, you know, a lot of people were saying what happened with Kamala Harris was unfair. It you was. know, so is it your position, Roland, that that was fair? Like the way she was attacked, the way, you know, the way that went down, the way her, you know, people talked about her campaign. That, that were, was absolutely fair game. That 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 were let me let me be clear. There were people who attacked Senator Kamala Harris who were lying about her record. Yes. There were people, uh, there's no doubt, if you look at the data, you had Russian trolls who were also mm -hmm. amplifying that message mm -hmm. because they deemed her to be uh, one of the biggest threats to win the Democratic nomination. But also, one of the fundamental problems that her campaign did not anticipate nor properly respond. The bottom line is this here. You, if you know the people are going to go after you because of your prosecutorial record, what you can't do is wait until September, the Monday before the debate at Texas Southern University, and release your criminal justice plan. Not when you got in the race in March. If you, know what, if you knew what was considered a weakness, what you do is you shore up your weaknesses early. You do not allow six months to go by and then let the whole thing fester and build up. You don't have three debates where you frankly couldn't answer the attack on your record as an attorney general. I'm so, 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 two things can be correct. There were unfair attacks on Senator Kamala Harris, but also her people did not properly respond or anticipate what those attacks were. And so that's what happens in politics. All is fair in love and war. Okay. It ain't gonna, so, and so that's all it is. Okay, yeah, if you're saying that, it, that it's all fair, because there are certainly uh, attacks on Bernie Sanders that are that are fair. There have been attacks on Tulsi Gabbard that are fair. There have been attacks on them that are unfair. But if you're saying this is politics, this is the way it goes, 
then then I can totally understand your position. And I that is my position, and that's been my position okay. since day one. And let me tell you something, my Congressman Tulsi Gabbard, she can go kick rock, especially this bullshit lawsuit she's filed against Hillary Clinton when Hillary Clinton did, did, didn't even agree. name her in a podcast. But as Reese said in her post, uh, hit dog will holler. <laughs> <laughs> That's Tulsi Gabbard. Right. She needs to yeah. sit her ass down and get out of the race. All she's doing is wasting breath because, again, she's amplifying what Russia wants to do, mm. and I don't care what she has to say about it. So deal with it, okay? You're not going to get the nomination. You're not going to get close to any votes. So guess what? <laughs> sit down. John Delaney, get out of the race. Michael Bennett, stop running. You got no place whatsoever in this race as well. So go sit down. It ain't going to happen. So that's why I'm like, yo, please hurry up. Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada and South Carolina vote so at least 60 people can go home mm. and stop wasting our time because you're absolutely right. Republicans are raising hundreds of millions of dollars because they want to protect Donald Trump being in the White House. That's what they're doing because there are three people, three constituencies that are very happy. National Security Republicans, they love the billions he keeps giving to the Defense Department, so they're going to vote for him regardless of whatever. Then you have Chamber of Commerce Republicans. Love their tax cuts, love getting rid of regulation. They don't give a damn about the environment. They don't care about the air and water quality. They're going to vote for Trump because he's getting rid of regulation. They're making money. And thirdly, these crazy, uh, nonsensical, white conservative evangelicals, <laughs> all they can't stand is abortion and mm. same-sex marriage. Mm. And so he's giving them to the pick whatever judges they want, and so they will excuse any behavior that he has. And that's what's going on. But I'm trying to tell all you people out there who are sitting at home, and I'm going to say it again, and I know Cleo Monago doesn't like me to say it, but all you dumbasses who didn't vote in 2016, I'm calling you out because you're an idiot for sitting at home. I don't care who you think isn't perfect or who isn't lining up with all of your issues. You're going to have two choices. I don't care what none of y'all have to say. It's going to be a Democratic nominee, and it's going to be an evil-ass man named Trump. And we already seen what he can do in the first four years. He's already been impeached. He's already said he will take Russia foreign interference again. This is a man who is evil. This is a man who is going to appoint more judges. If Donald Trump wins another four years, he likely will be appointing half of all federal judges on the bench. That's crazy. That should scare the hell out of anybody who cares about civil rights or environmental protection, who cares about any of these th those things. And so that's what's going to happen. So y'all can sit here and go back and forth with the Bernie bros and broettes and the Tulsa people <laughs> and the Hillary people and everybody else. But I'm telling you right now, when it's time for that Democratic convention, you better lock and load because these folks, they want to run this country in a way that minimizes black people, Latinos, LGBT, Asians, Native Americans. If you ain't white, you ain't right. Just look at who they're targeting. Got to go to a break. When we come back, we'll talk about Delonte West and why we should not be joking with his mental illness. Also talk to Byron Cage about his new book uh, as well. Folks, all of that next, Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. You want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered? 
be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Earlier this week, this uh, video surfaced of uh, former NBA guard Delonte West being handcuffed after a fight broke out here in the Washington, D.C. area. We're not going to show that video. Uh, according to TMZ, a witness told police that West started the street fight by throwing a glass bottle at the other man. The Prince George's County, Maryland police found out that one of their officers recorded the viral video and conducted a full investigation. The video made its rounds on social media following the incident, and the department conducted a full investigation leading up to the officer's indefinite suspension. Reese, I'm not showing this video because, one, um, Delonte West has a serious mental illness problem. Um, this has been the case for a number, a number of years. Uh, folks have been joking about, joking about him. They've been mocking him. When he was getting beat in the middle of the street, all these cars stopped. Nobody came to his assistance. And then, I mean, it was, it was just shameful. Uh, and, I mean, this is, this is what happens when you deal with people who have problems with mental illness and they're not getting the help that they need. Very disturbing, and, and even the woman recording the video was like, somebody call the police. Get off your phone and call the police. <laughs> right. You know, but, I mean, I, I, I feel for him. I I will say one thing when I watch a video and then I read the stories is I do think sometimes we have a, a tendency to really um, react very strongly to videos without necessarily having all the facts. I mean, it's a 38-second clip for, for with, as far as him being interrogated by the police officer. And, you know, there was a little bit more to the story than his, you know, to me, understandable agitation at being handcuffed after just getting, having just getting beat up. But um, it, it is encouraging that he's with his family and he seems to be getting some help. And there was some outpouring of support. Um, and people were certainly much more sensitive to the fact that he has uh, bipolar, as he's stated himself, rather than making a mockery of it and calling him crazy and putting him all the all these lists that they used to put him on to try to make it seem like he was just some sort of, you know, crazy person instead of being sensitive to his condition. Rob, this is, again, I mean, I think that it's very easy to sit here and make fun of jokes and make fun of people and make jokes, but uh, he has a serious problem. People have, have folks have been asking for the NBA or at least the Players Association to help one of their former players. Yeah. You know, a couple things on this. You know, social media has a lot of great things and it connects us, but it also has a dark side. It amplifies some of the worst of human nature, the pre the, some of the worst pre-existing conditions we already have. So uh, to talk about people, uh, to, to judge people quickly, and obviously we saw that play out with this. But yes, absolutely, the NBA should be investing heavily in mental health, and it's one of their former players. And it's a, it's a situation that... Uh, we as a black community have to begin to take more seriously too because we we think we can just you know sometimes pray pray it away no you need to get real help uh and and it shouldn't be made fun of and it should be talked about uh there's nothing wrong with admit, admitting that you need help and and you should and we should seek the services and, and not shy away from those things jason yeah i want to echo that um so you know i'm from maryland and so i know a lot of people who i, I don't know delante myself but i know a lot of people who know him and, uh, you know, I've talked to people who have actually been in contact with his family. You know, it's a difficult time for them. Um, I will say that, you know, Delonte, despite his condition, is is a strong dude. And, I, you know, I believe that, that he will, uh, you know, with help, 
and with the, the right people around him and, and the right uh, professional help that he's going to bounce back. Um, I also just briefly want to say from the video of the attack, uh, anybody who's done any kind of training, any kind of fighting training knows that if somebody stomps on your head, that's a kill shot. That person should be in prison to me. Yep. Uh, that person needs to go to jail. I don't care what the circumstances were ahead of time, but when you stomp on someone's head, you are literally trying to kill them. And so I, I think that, you know, we haven't, no one's really had a conversation about that person's culpability. And, you know, that was basically an attempted murder. Uh, you know, that wasn't just a fist fight. You know, when you have someone who's incapacitated and you stomp on their head, that's really, really a problem. Um, but Delonte, again, I want to echo what, what they said, you know, besides, you know, the love and prayers that we want to send him and his family, uh, I, I really hope that, you know, the NBA and, and everybody who can get involved that can help Delonte uh, in his condition can help him and he can bounce back and be, be there for his family. Michael, um, again, we could have easily shown the video. Uh, I chose not to. It's my call. I uh, want to apologize for it uh, because uh, there's no sense. The way folks have made fun of, of him, uh, I mean, that is a, a serious, serious problem that he's dealing with. It's affecting a lot of people across this country. Uh, we, we, this country has slashed mental health services, uh, cities, counties, and states, and that's one of the reasons why. Uh, we have such a huge problem, especially when it comes to homelessness as well. You're right, and, and Rishi just mentioned, you know, call the police. Instead, people are talking about World Star. How yeah. quickly can I post this online? Mm -hmm. And that's uh, back to, I forget which panelist talked about, the social media and how great it is and it connects us, but it also has these, uh, these negative parts about social media. And that's just kind of what happens, and it's unfortunate. And uh, again, I guess we're all sending our uh, thoughts and prayers to his family. All right, going to go to a break. We come back. We'll chat with Byron Cage about his new book and his new album next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. All right, folks, on Monday, February 3rd and Tuesday, February 4th, the National Leadership Conference is issuing a call to action. Next year, of course, this year is going to be a critical year uh, for the election as well as for the census. And so people are focused on, of course, uh, what's going to happen in, uh, in the fall with the uh, election. Uh, people are also focusing on making sure we are not undercounted. The black community needs to be organized and assert the full force and power of our communities including electing people who will champion our interests. The conference will be called with a sense of urgency that concludes with a specific action plan for African-American leaders to take back to their communities. Pull the graphic up, please. Uh, on, so taking place uh, on, uh, it's called Emergency Convening of National Black Leadership Summit. Uh, and so Monday it will take place, February 3rd, at the Hyatt Regency, uh, Washington uh, Capitol Hill. And then, of course, on Tuesday, February 4th, it will take place uh, on Capitol Hill. And so we at Roller Martin Unfiltered, and we've been talking with Congresswoman Karen Bass. We're going to be live streaming both of those days, all of the sessions. I'll be moderating one of those uh, as well. And so uh, we're going to be uh, involved with that. And so if you want to get more information, go to the Congressional Black Caucus uh, Foundation website. You can also go to cbc.house.gov forward slash 
2020 summit, cbc.house.gov forward slash 2020 summit. And so uh, tomorrow, folks, let's be sure we have that graphic, uh, that, that uh, website on the bottom so people can have that. And so again, two days of an emergency meeting for uh, African-American Leadership Summit. And uh, we certainly look forward to carrying that uh, right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks. Uh, okay. All right, folks, hold tight. So one second. So uh, Byron Cage, he is in the house. Uh, he has a new, a new book. He's got a new album. Check this out. Oh, how good it is to be in the presence of the Lord. My soul rejoices being in the presence of the King. So refreshing. Such a blessing. There's no place I'd rather be than in the presence of the King. Anybody like to be in his presence? Let me sing it again. Oh, how good it is to be in the presence of the Lord. My soul rejoices being in the presence of the King. All right, folks, that song there is Oh, How Good It Is. Uh, that is the single. Go to my iPad, show you what the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, that particular single looks like. And, of course, the album, uh, it is called Isolation. That's the name of the album there. Uh, and in addition to that, he also has the book, I Do, The Marriage Between Ministry and Music. Byron Cage, welcome, man. What's going on? First of all, let me say thank you. You look good in red, that red jet. Red is looking amazing on you. You mean the, you mean the Houston Rockets colors? No, no, no. I'm talking about <laughs> no, no, you, you see that R? I heard you, you talking to, to my other fraternity brother. Do you brother. see that R? Uh -huh. Yo, yo. Okay, do you yeah, see that R? That's the right color. That's for Rockets. That's for the right. And if the you right ever color. see, and you see you me in, and, right and if you see me in red and white, I'm honoring Delta. You all right with me? Let's be clear. You see me in red and white, I'm honoring Delta. You all right with me? It ain't never got Jack to do with Capitals. I don't deal with any organizations below my alpha pay grade. Oh, oh listen, listen at you. Oh, listen at you. Okay, uh, right. We bind that spirit right now. Well, you can bind yeah. it all you Let want to. Church up you, know, you, know <laughs> you know Jesus was an alpha. Don't even front. Don't even <laughs> front. Alpha, you gotta remember, oh. without alpha, y'all known as Kappa Psi. Ah, uh, no, not at all. No, you see what this say, is right here. You, Come on. Uh, go ahead with the alpha in it. All right. Anyway, all right, y'all. Glad to have Byron on the show. Let's go to a break. See, uh-huh. See, we shut that down real quick. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, first, let's talk about the book, I Do, The Marriage Between yeah. Ministry and Music. What's that about? Man, I, I chronicled my 30 years before I retired in 2018 in December after doing full-time ministry as a minister of music. And I talk about my Okay, years. you retired from what? From, from being a minister of music. I, there you go. I did that full-time for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a great time. Of course, I started in Grand Rapids at a church called Bethel. So I talk about the years there, me growing up with the DeBarge family and mm -hmm. the things that I've learned and all that good stuff. Then we moved to Detroit. I talk about that. And me and Fred Hammond and a lot of us went to the same church there. And I was still directing choirs. But it wasn't until I got to Atlanta and I started working for Bishop Eddie Long. He was Reverend Eddie Long at the time in 1988, where New Birth only had like four or 500 members. And then when I left 10 years later, it was well over 20,000. 
2000. And I just talk about the funny stories of Ebenezer and uh, even in St. Paul and Richmond. And I just kind of tell pastors and music people how to get along together in the pulpit because they're always fighting. Every, every, every place I go, a lot of times, pastors think that musicians are crazy. Musicians think pastors are jealous of the music because, you know, a lot of times music, uh, because it's inspirational, will get a really celebrated type of response. And sometimes if a pastor is intimidated by that response, feels like if the, if the congregation was quiet when he was preaching that maybe some way, somehow, it failed when that's not necessary. So I, I talk that's about... About, that's about the dumbest it thing. It really I is. Don't, I, I don't understand the logic. Uh, I understand, and, and look, my wife's ordained minister. Uh, I know many preachers. I, I don't understand mm -hmm. preachers getting mad and being jealous of the, of the music ministry. It's, um, bro, I, it's, it's just the dumbest thing in the world to me. It's there. Well, uh, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas in Baltimore set me free. We were on, uh, on a flight going to the Bahamas to do TBN. And um, this is when I resigned from New Birth the second time. And he said, Byron, what's wrong? You, you seem to be a little bit distraught. And I told him, you know, I just felt like it was time for me to go because I never want to be in the way. And I never want to feel like my, what I'm bringing to the table is not what you asked for. And because I served him for so many years, I just believed that that was really what the church wanted. The church responded. And it was a great time. And um, unfortunately, I, it, it, it kind of pushed me out. And I told him, I just felt like it was, I need to get out and let you get someone in here who really can give you what you want. Want. So I left the second time. So uh, Walter Scott Thomas said something to me, and I talk about it in the book. He said, Byron, if you have a leader who really only wants a celebration to happen at the point of revelation, which is the word, but not at the inspirational moment, which is the music, then yeah, you'll have some problems. So I, I, I'm brutally honest in this book um, because musicians aren't always right, but pastors aren't always right either. And I think that if we find that happy meeting place of where we understand that the pastor has a vision for a church and how we can support that musically for the church, then I think that we can have a more harmonious relationship in the pulpit. It also, um, what people don't realize is uh, when you usually hear the phrase, they almost hear the sausages made. There are folk who look at church from the pews, mm -hmm. and it's a whole different uh, world uh, behind the pulpit. Uh, when you look at shows like Greenleaf and mm. people might say, oh, it's television. Yeah. No, it ain't. Oh, no, no, that's <laughs> real. Right, yeah, and, and, and church is a business as well. People, you can say what you want to say, hallelujah, glory to God. We got to have the money to make sure that church happens. We got to be able to bring the tithes into the storehouse, the Bible says, that there may be meat, you know, food for those who serve uh, the way that they do. And um, I think that when people are, are obedient in their giving, uh, then it becomes an act of worship that this is something that they love to do because the Bible says this is a commandment that we should do. So, uh, so when you uh, when you re reflect on those thirty years, what was the craziest thing? The craziest Ooh. thing that happened. This, this new birth. This is a new birth story, and this is a true story. I had just gotten to new birth maybe three or four months, and Bishop Long said to me, "This is when new birth was at two seven seven eight Snap Finger Road in Decatur, Georgia." And he said, Byron, I want you to give me a fiery number before I preach. And I said, okay, you, you're talking to the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World guy who knows how to direct choirs. I'm the choir master. So I stood the choir up and I said, y'all ready? And in the 1980s, remember, you have the Thompson Community Choir. You had uh, Donaldville Choir. You had so many big directors. So I did this song called There Is No Way I Could Live Without You. And when we got to the end of the part, you know, of course, in the 80s, you had to slow the music down. So I slowed the last time. I have try over and I started directing so it boomed up with all my antics my, my Ricky Diller directing and over <laughs> and over and over and I just I went and then I just ran down the aisle like this and the church went bananas I mean they just everybody lost it 
And so Bishop Long, Reverend Long at the time, he had to start on 10,000 just to even get anybody to listen to him. Mm -hmm. The people were shouting so bad. So after the, the um, uh, second service, he says to me as he's walking out, you know, because I'm quivering on the piano like, like I, oh. he says to me, I'm going to see you in my office before the third service. So I'm thinking he's going to give me a raise. I'm thinking he's going <laughs> to praise me. <laughs> he's going to look at me and just anoint my head with oil. And my cup is going to run over. I knock on his door. He says, come here. He said, come in, come in. So he had his head down. He saw it was me. He said, if you ever do that again, I'll fire you. Mm. And I said, <laughs> I, mean, I did I mean, the whole, what the, you asked me to do. I, I did exactly what you asked me to do. So, of course, the anointing lifted off of me at that moment, and then mm -hmm. he had some choice words to say in Baptist words, and I went back into, before the third service, I wrote my resignation out, and I gave it to him. Mm -hmm. Right before, and, but that particular service, that third service, I still had to conduct the music. It was like a Presbyterian funeral in there. <laughs> it was dead. There was no spirit. I had no light. I don't want to be bothered with it. Mm -hmm. So I sat there and was sitting. He, after the third service, he said, I'm going to see you in my office again. Now I'm like this. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, ready. I'm ready. I'm like, come on, Doc. You have a letter in your pocket. Bro, right? let me tell you. I'm from Detroit, partner. No, no. You, you had written the resignation letter. Had you already hand, had yeah, you yeah, handed, I had it, handed it to him. So, so you handed him before the but second service. Before the third service. Before the third service. Uh, and he read and just put it in his Bible. So when he said he wanted to see me again, I was like, man, where's my switchblade? Let me, let me find something. <laughs> you know. So I knocked on the door. He said, come in again. He said, listen, sit down. He said, I owe you an apology because you... You gave me what you thought I wanted. He said, because you're Pentecostal and I'm Baptist. He said, I thought you understood. I didn't clearly articulate, but I never want the moment like that before I have to preach. He said, I, I want it to be reverent. I want people to be ready to receive the word. I said, oh, okay, I got it, you know? And so through the, the rest of those years that I served there, even if I did have a bump in the road, I knew how to make an adjustment to make it right. So that way, uh, because he was not a singer, he tried one time to sing, we are climbing Jacob's Ladder. Do you want to hear? Here it goes. <laughs> we are climbing Jacob. And it was like almost a shout. And people were literally screaming laughing. Because they didn't know if it was for real. <laughs> that, I mean, it was, you know, it, was, it was funny. It was really hilarious. He never sang again after that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it was, um, it was, I mean, I had so many wonderful stories of, of, of being, you know, minister of music in the 30 years that I did it. And um, I just wanted to step back now that I'm moving closer to 60. I said, it's time for me to let some other young people come up and, and put a perspective on there. You know, the young people are so talented. I just don't want them to lose what we do as a people in gospel music. Um, but I, I, I really, man, I had a wonderful, wonderful experience for 30 years. I'm going to come back, I'm gonna come back to, to that. Um, um, how did you deal with the, uh, the explosive allegations that hit New Birth, working, working there, knowing people there, and people leaving in droves. Yeah, it was. And, and membership went down to less than a thousand. Uh, and and it was interesting because when it, when it happened, I wrote a very critical article mm -hmm. on CNN.com, was on the air. Right. And his folks were upset and mad at me because I had previously done some stories on him for Savoy Magazine right, and some right. other ones. Mm -hmm. And I said, let me be clear. I said, I speak truth regardless. Right, right. Well, you know what? I had been gone, I think, at, at the second time, maybe three or four years when that came out. And um, I, I was so just distraught over the fact that people can just be so 
I think, vicious un unless you had all of the truth. And because I didn't know who those individuals were other than maybe seeing them work out in the gym or something. And um, Bishop never came at me in a way that would have ever made me feel like that because I was the, the minister of music for the church and I was doing all the creative concepts for videos, wrote the songs, his jingles for his preaching thing that he was doing. And um, I, I just, I, I was just sad. And I was saddened that um, if it were true, that he still has to stand before a just God. I even look at Jamal Bryant, who's my frat brother as well, and he has some harsh things to say, and he's the pastor of the church today, because I think people have the right to be able to speak what they want to speak, but then there's something called the truth as well. And one thing I don't think that we all knew, um, or we will all ever know what everything truth, uh, what the entire truth was based on those who were accusing him, uh, and then the things that he said you know, out of his mouth, uh, like, you know, I. I, I, I ain't cast the first stone yet. You know, I feel like David against Goliath. And some of those statements, I think, were some of the downfalls where people started turning and, um, but I'm just... Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I said, I said, look, you hit me with those allegations? Yeah. Ain't gonna be no private mediation. Yeah. Everything gonna... We live so streaming every... We, just, yeah. My whole deal is, because at the end of the day, um, I think back to uh, Max Robinson. Mm -hmm. uh, he was dying... Uh, 1988, he speaks at Howard University, mm -hmm. and he says, never ever lose your integrity or your credi credibility, because right. in the end, it's all you've got. Yeah, but I think unfortunately, though, especially with, with social media and the way they can do it, um, there was an individual who did a story about me. My manager called me and got my label involved, because someone said that I had been in a relationship and I gave Bishop Long AIDS. And I said, what? What are you talking about? So I read the story, we got involved. Somebody wrote that? Somebody wrote that. Yeah, you know? see right there? And see, those kind of that. things like that. And because I'm from Detroit, you know what I'm saying? It's one of those things that you say, if Might I Might not have a church moment right there, I'm, I'm just saying. Man, but you know what? I was, my mother said this to me. She said, you never have to worry about God believing a lie. Live your truth. And in the 30 years that I've been minister of music, I've never been fired for anything. I've never been called on the table for anything. My time has been very honorable. As a gospel artist, this is my 10th CD. And I've been in it for 25 years with a blameless, spotless record, with the exception of my divorce, you know? But other than that, you know, I, I, I look at people who have the ability to remain anonymous but talk about public people in such a vicious way and in a lot of instances where it's not even true. You know what I'm saying? Someone said, uh, Roland, that you really didn't want to uh, be an alpha. You wanted to be a kappa, you know, but... Uh, we know that's a lie. <laughs> we know that's a lie. I mean, that was absolutely no consideration given to any junior-level organization. <laughs> Whatever. None. Whatever. Like, none. Whatever, but... but none yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, but, but what I really am <laughs> glad about what Jamal is doing now at New Birth, man, they are growing again by leaps and bounds because he is, you know, not just a capital, but he also is a man who understands community, and he has a love for whatever happened to Baltimore, where he felt the leading to have to go. Uh, man, he made the right decision to go to Atlanta, because New Birth right now, man, and, and I was there for 12 years. I was there when it was the glory years, uh, before the, the big fall from grace. But I'm just, I'm grateful to see what God is doing there again for them. All right, questions? Rob, Jason, Reese, Michael, anybody? Yeah, I, I just have a, you know, I, I find it interesting. I had, uh, Robert Greene, who, who wrote the 48 Laws of Power uh, on my show. And I think we have this illusion, a lot of us do, that, okay, in places like church, politics doesn't happen, egos don't happen, because we're all supposed to be following Christ, when ultimately that's, it's more political than most environments. 
what did you learn from that? Like, what did your your first encounter with uh, with uh, Bishop Long? I took it as like he basically. There was a few things. One, you were on different pages, but I also saw something else. Is like he, you know, the first the first the first rule in the Forty Eight Laws of Power is never outshine the master. And it seemed like in that encounter, yeah. when you came up there and, and you gave your performance, you were outshining him. And I think that was whether he admitted it or not. That was also part of the problem. What did you learn from that that you that you still take forward? And that you know you know people say that they're have these ideals, but often human nature and politics still gets in the way. Yeah, I, I had to learn quickly that um, men are flesh. They, they, they are not spirit from the standpoint where they don't have a glorified body. And so they're subject to make mistakes. And um, I think because when I came to New Birth, I was 23, 24. Bishop Long was 33, 34. And, um, you know, this is when he still wore white dress shoes with a, a black suit. And I mean, it was just because he's from the country. And so... Yeah, that's country. From, that's country. <laughs> I'm from Detroit. And so, you know, I kind of look at... He came Baptist. I came up PAW. So with me, you know, listening to what it was that he was trying to get... I would have to be very sensitive to know that if there is a place where he would be uncomfortable before the word, it was my job as minister of music to be able to set the house where he would be comfortable because he was not a singer. I could sing some of those songs, and if Bishop Morton was the pastor, he can get right up behind there and, and take it. You know what I'm saying? But Bishop Long wasn't like that. So I learned how to be very sensitive and to listen and to be able to make him as comfortable as possible, especially before the word and then uh, also after the word, the selection that we sang so that it would be appropriate with what was being ministered. Don Triplett says on Facebook, y'all got to hear Jamal talk about being hazed by Byron. <laughs> now, see, that's, a, that's, one of, that's one of the Ten Commandments. See, y'all don't think Thou I don't read y'all comments during the show. Thou shalt not lie. I never laid a hand. I did write Jamal Bryant's letter of recommendation, but I did not touch Jamal Bryant. Touch not my anointed and don't do it. And cap out the side, we don't haze. We just very physically exert. We exert a lot of physical energy and have a great time. Yeah, and y'all yeah, and y'all and y'all and y'all drop, and y'all drop yeah, canes. All right, who else got a question? Uh, Jason? I, I, I have a quick question. Um, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, throughout the last, I guess, decade or so, um, about the mix between secular music and gospel music. And some people have said that gospel music is losing a little bit of the, the religion in it, and it's just becoming too secular, of course, with people like uh, Kirk Franklin and other people. Uh, so I wanted to know what your position is and how you feel about some of the newer gospel artists who may not even mention Christ in a song, but they still consider themselves part of the gospel genre. Do you think that is getting too secular? Not necessarily, because really, I, I cannot talk about the intentions of anybody's heart. Like, when I look at Kanye West, and we know all of the stuff that he was when he was, you know, doing hip-hop. Speaking of mental illness. Yeah, right, and, and, and singing some of the things that he used to say and do, and now to have this choir with all these young people actually singing very traditional gospel music that's from the 80s and 90s. Um, I get excited about that. I mean, people criticized me when I did the uh, thing with Chance the Rapper on Jimmy Fallon's show, and they were like, well, why would you do that? Because he's because I got a chance to sit down with him, and a lot of these kids came straight up out of church. Um, and they're saved and they love the Lord. Maybe they have made some mistakes in the past, but my thing is not to judge. My thing is to love and, and hopefully to provide the kind of light for them that if they need counseling, if they need somebody to talk to about situations that uh, they can relate to me because I can relate to them. Paul said it like this in Corinthians. He said, I became all things to all people so I can win them. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to win souls. Um, there are some people that I think are, are if, if your motive is this, just to be famous, uh, that, hey, go go have at it. But if your motive really is to reach people and to really bring the love of Christ to them in the way that you do it, whether it's trap music and that, hey, <laughs> that, 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 that's not even me. 
I don't get that music, but you know what? There's some young people that you relate to that. Me and Ty Tribbett did a, a show, and I did the little shoop shoop, and everybody went crazy <laughs> because they were like, what is he doing? And, and I laugh at it now, but um, yeah, just to answer your question, though, ma'am, it's just the intention of your heart. What is in your heart, you know, what, when you do it? And, and that's what means everything to me. Gracie? Yeah, just some practical questions. Uh, how do you listen to your music on the streaming platform? Then what's your social media information? I wish, to be honest with you, I wish there was no streaming. <laughs> I wish we can go back to selling records. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what the young kids do today. The young kids will never know success as actual recording artists through record sales. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the presence of the Lord is here, of course, sold so many records, so did I bless the Lord. But as we got to my, um, my recording called Faithful to Believe, that started to be a whole nother situation where, um, you know, because of streaming mm -hmm. and because of now you have iTunes, mm -hmm. now you do have YouTube where you can listen to things. It just made it a little dip, a little more difficult. Right. Um, and it's, it's really creating a generation of young people that, that feel like they're entitled to free stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, because mm -hmm. that's literally almost what it is. When you, when you consider that CDs used to cost like $16.99, $15.99, and it kept going down. Now it's like $9.99, but most people just don't, you know, take the time to really invest in what they're so now working on a new book and the new book just uh, uh, really handles not just the whole millennial but the generation behind them mm -hmm. what's going to be left musically 20 years from now mm -hmm. because the lord has blessed me to have this is my 10th cd and i have a, a publishing a catalog of amazing songs mm -hmm. that are very popular in church and i'm grateful to god for that but i just hope we don't lose um what it is that we have created uh, through the years of the people's shoulders who I stand on, like the Walter Hawkins, the James Cleveland, you know, Maddie Moss Clark, uh, you know, Thomas Dorsey, the father of gospel music, mm -hmm. the Baird sisters, Clara Ward and the Ward singers used to sing in nightclubs. Mm -hmm. They were doing that back in the 50s. Right. And they were criticized for it. So. But, but people also <laughs> don't, people also don't understand uh, and frankly don't care about the economics of it as well. Uh, Prince was one of the people who was absolutely against streaming mm -hmm. uh, for, for the longest. It wasn't until, you know, the final year or so, uh, the last couple of years of his, mm -hmm. of his, um, of his life mm -hmm. where he allowed his music to be streamed. People mm -hmm. forget he actually had his own download service that, right. that, that predated iTunes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so you have somebody who has 600 million streams right. When you look at what they get paid, they're like, exactly right. like, right. what is that? And right. so for the person out there who's, I mean, in fact, interesting, I, I uh, um, when Prince was alive, I, uh, he tweeted something, and my response was, oh, no, uh, I actually buy my music. Uh, <laughs> and he responded. I, I might pay attention. And yeah. Kelly Carter hits me up. She's like, uh, Roland, do you realize that Prince responded to your tweet? She's like, and she's like, that was actually him. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, oh, really? Oh, okay. I mean, because I, I wouldn't even pay attention to yeah. it. Mm -hmm. But that's what people don't understand, that uh, you got some artists who put, you know, I talk, I've interviewed Maxwell. It was like eight years between one album and the next. People, it was seven. People, it was uh, seven from mine. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and, and you got to live and eat during those seven years. Absolutely. And so a lot of people don't understand that. But also, I think also not understanding, not understanding how albums are, are, are conceived and conceptualized where, and I've done, I've done, I've done so many interviews with artists, mm -hmm. where what often happens is when they, when they have the CD, I'll, I'll, I'll have them walk through, okay, what is this song? What is this song? Where did this come from? What is this? Mm -hmm. So there's a story because yeah, a, a, an album, a music album is also like a book. There's a story from beginning to end. Absolutely. So if you only hear one story, that's essentially like reading a chapter out of a book. It is. And then it's kind of like, all right, then, I'm, then I'm, I'm gone with it. Yeah, and, and what I do, I compare it to Walter Hawkins, Love Alive, 
one, the first mm -hmm. album, had streaming come out back then, and Going Up Yonder was, oh, such a popular song, but on that same record was a song called Change, mm -hmm. which is even almost bigger than that. Yep. So you don't really understand an artist fully and completely when you just buy one song. Oh, ben, because... ben, Benny and the Jets oh, was yeah. on the B-side yep. yep. of the Elton uh, John. The, the record label thought, I know what the other song was, was going to be hit, yep. and what happened was Black Radio mm -hmm. picked up Benny and the Jets, Absolutely. and that's exactly how that song took off and it blew past whatever was on the A-side. Oh, right, right, absolutely. Can, 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 so, can I actually so, talk about the other side of that, too? I, I agree with you in terms of the challenging parts of it. I will say, though, that there's also an opportunity to make make your own brand and not have to go through mm -hmm. the same things you had to go through before. That's one. Two, I do think now people are starting to get to the point where they will pay for content, um, but you have to build that up over time. Oh, yeah. And so... So, like, I do think there's opportunities with streaming. So I would tell people, uh, as an artist, never go away. You, you have to embrace it, but figure out a way to own some of your data, too, because uh, we, there's a black entrepreneur. I think it's Angela Benton. That's her name. So she's actually creating a, a platform for people to have and, and keep and make money off of their content, too. So I, I think you're going to see people in the next five to ten years uh, want to actually pay for several reasons. I mean, it won't it won't well, be well, that, that, if you, well, own, well, if you that, own it, you that, get more. Right. They're, they're, they're paying now. Because yeah. there was a period there where, where they were Napster, they no, were just uh, you know, lime wire, yeah, exactly. they were ripping everything off, they were. Uh, yep. and it happened there. Yeah. Uh, Michael, question. I don't want to get involved in your black on black crime. <laughs> but as, a pr as a proud Q. Well, as, well, as an Omega, <laughs> as, as an Omega, y'all well, know about crime. Y'all oh, <laughs> know about crime. As but more prison <laughs> chapters than any other attorney. There you go. There you go. Where does hey, see, I, where see, 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 I'm just saying. He just should have just. You should have just asked your question. You should just minded your business and asked your question. I knew he was going to get personal. All I want to tell you is keep up the good work. Thank you. Proud of you and congratulations. I appreciate it. And I'm just grateful, man, to be relevant even after all these years, because I put out two singles during the seven years where I didn't have a full project. Mm -hmm. One was called Like No Other, and another one was called uh, Good To Me. And um, I just looked at the success of one's song, of how many times it was streamed, and mm -hmm. people that bought it on TuneCore as mm -hmm. a single. And uh, I was able to put all of that money back in my pocket, because I wasn't with a record label at that time. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, but, but when I was with Vicky Latte out of Gospel Century, which also had Kirk Franklin and mm -hmm. Kirk Carr and so many of the other wonderful artists, we were selling millions of dollars worth of product now. Mm. So now I, I, I'm thankful that I still work today because I have a whole catalog of popular songs mm. to where people still want to hear Presence of the Lord is here. They still want to hear I'll Bless the Lord. They still want to hear Broken But I'm Here. They still want to go. And I'm just grateful to be able to still be working. I'm real happy about this new project, though, because I didn't want to do another record at first. Mm. But I, I decided, I said, you know what? I'm going to do something and, and, and put out some music that will be relevant, but also that will show people, this is what Roland was talking about earlier, where I have been for the last seven years. One song in particular, because we've been talking about mental illness that God gave me is a song I wrote called Isolation. Mm -hmm. And it's about being by yourself and, and being depressed and having anxiety. And I was listening to a lot of my gospel giants like Richard Smallwood and people say that they battle with depression. And yep. some people say, you know, they, they feel like killing themselves. And all. So God gave me a song called Isolation and I titled it that. Mm -hmm. I could have titled it, uh, it's raising up one of the up-tempo songs. But um, I just think that we as church people especially need to know it's okay. Let's praise God. My brother was saying it earlier. Let's read the Bible. Let's fast. Let's shout. 
But when we get up, let's go see a mental health specialist mm. person that you can speak to. Because I get so many pastors call me and say, Byron, that song, Isolation, man, when you get to the part that I said, he's preparing me for what I need and he's protecting me from what I can't see. It was 3 o'clock in the morning with tears falling down my face. I was like, God, sometimes I do. I just feel this sense of being here alone and nobody understands. Mm -hmm. And it feels like the walls are closing in on you. And I know a lot of people understand that. So that's what the song Isolation came from. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I wish uh, you had sought somebody out before you pledged. Uh, then, uh, they would, I, 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 then, then, then they would have probably dealt right with that man. mental illness. I, I was just fine. Uh, they, 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 the they, they would have dealt with that mental illness. I got just what I wanted. <laughs> got just what I wanted. Hey, like I, like I said, uh, coach ain't bad, but it ain't first class. Uh, all right, y'all. The book is called <laughs> I Do, The Marriage Between <laughs> Ministry and Music. That's the book. Uh, uh, check it out. And then, of course, uh, show the album cover. Uh, it's right. I still call them albums. That's what they are. Yes. Uh, album is called Isolation. Who you looking at? Hey, hey, come on now. Who, who you looking I'm at? I'm looking at Jesus. And he's okay, the isolation right. around me. But you look, but you're looking at everybody else and, on and the I'm single. Heaven. Now look at the heavens are open. Yeah, okay. Put on some jeans that ain't torn. All right, y'all. Again, the book is called I Do, The Marriage Between Ministry and Music. And the CD is called Isolation. Byron Cage, we appreciate it. Thanks a Thank bunch. Thank you, sir, for having me. All right. Oh, six. All right, y'all, don't forget to support. Look, that's five years late. That's, you know, whatever. Oh, we, we were finished with college. You're first to market. We're best to market. The pride of all our hearts. True manliness. <laughs> you sound like Eddie Long. However <laughs> dust in part. You sound like Eddie Long right now. Oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Lord, a fool's lips enters him into contention, and his mouth invites a beating. Say one more word, brother. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. You sound like Eddie Long. Okay. All right. So I saw read the Facebook comment. Periscope. Y'all ain't saying nothing interesting. So that's what I'm not gonna give y'all a shout out. But let's see. Angel L. Byron Cage. Please hit a little of just to know him, please. All right, just so we're, we're in the show this way. So, uh, Angel, this is for you. Go ahead. Just to know him, Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Just to know him, just to know him, Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Mm. All right. There you go. There you go, Angel. There you go. All right, folks. Uh, certainly appreciate all uh, y'all supporting Roller Martin Unfiltered. Please go to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, every dollar you give goes to support this show. It makes it possible for us to do what we do. Of course, uh, over the next month, we're going to be spending time in South Carolina getting ready for the uh, debate there, uh, as well as the primary taking place. And, of course, um, Super Tuesday as well. Uh, we're going to have a special broadcast that night uh, right here uh, covering all of Super Tuesday, so we look forward to that. I uh, want to thank Jason, Rob, Michael, and Reese as well for being here. Uh, all of you who watch, watch us via Periscope, Facebook, and YouTube, thanks a bunch as well. So please go to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Got some great stuff for you. And if you join our Bring the Funk fan club, you also have discounts to buying items, uh, pocket squares and books and other items you have on uh, RollerMartin.com. All right, y'all, I got to go. My Rockets are playing right now. That's why I'm wearing red. It sure as hell ain't for no little fraternity. So, but I will shout the Deltas out because the, ca the, 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 the Kappas are so desperate.
definitely want to dress like them. All right. And I'll end the show this way. I'll end the show this way, which we always say to any Kappa or Omega or Sigma or Iota. We say we party all night. We stay up late. But most of all, Alpha graduate. Holla! <laughs>